get this, you'll see a little red dot in the corner. Uh, that's proof uh, I am doing what I say I'm going to do. Apart from that, um, I've introduced myself to, to all you guys before. Um, like I said, my name's Chris Bennett. I'm not a data specialist. Uh, I am a recruiter. I do focus on the Stockholm market. I will mute myself when I'm not needed. Yeah, if you want my opinions on anything, I'm more than happy to join in at some point. But apart from that, my job is to make sure you all uh, see some value from this. Yeah, so I'm going to go uh, in order and give us a, what? One minute, two minute introductions to yourselves. We'll go with James first. Hi everyone, my name is James. I'm the head of engineering at Snipe, based here in Stockholm. Snipe is a an esports broadcast streaming platform solution. Um, I've been there just over a year now, and prior to that, my background is leading other teams building digital software for the most part. I took a one-year hiatus in an investment bank and then came back to building software again. Uh, and I've been CTO at a recruitment company. I've been a product owner at another video streaming company. Um, yeah, I and originally I was a developer way back when, um, did mainly Java enterprise development for telcos and finance. That's me. Uh, Daniel, could you give us an introduction to yourself? All right, thank you. Uh, yes, I, my name is Daniel. I currently work with Spotify as a engineering manager with their content platform. So before that, I was with a scale up uh, here in Stockholm that does mobile pay parking and at Easy Park as head of engineering. And before that, I was with a small startup called Findex. So I've been around doing a lot of bit different things. Me and James actually have a history way, way back when we were at the same consultant company, uh, when I was still a Java programmer, uh, but I've been doing a lot of different things since then. Uh, I've had the fortune to work around very many good people in the data sphere. So I think today uh, I'm gonna both pay back by giving something back to the community, but a lot of things that I picked up is is just echoing all these good people that have been in touch with. Thank you. Fantastic. Mark. Hi guys, my name is Mark. I'm the EM at uh, Tinkit um, on the data engineering side. Um, before that, I did some backend work uh, at Avalanche Studios, uh, also on the data side. Uh, before that, I'm from South Africa originally, and I was an EM in leading teams in finance and logistics and in, tel in the telco sphere. And before that, I was a Java dev for 10 years or so. And then finally, Thomas. Yeah. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm Thomas. I'm the, the CTO of uh, like a startup company or more rather like a restart company called Maracanda. And we've been around for just about a year and a half. So I don't expect anyone to, to know what it is unless you just saw the invite and, uh, and you're checking out our website. <laughs> but, uh, but we're doing pretty exciting stuff. We're collecting lots of uh, time series data from, from mobile phones and trying to understand the life cycle of the mobile phone and, and how you, you kind of perceive the, the, uh, you know, the network experience. And this is a really interesting stuff for operators and we try to use that for optimizing, you know, op, you know, advertisement for uh, telecom operators and device manufacturers. Um, so that's what we do. I just, so, so you know, anything about, you know, something about Maracanda, but my background is not in data science or data engineering. My background is software engineering. 
and uh, you know creating more traditional types of e-commerce systems or bank and finance systems so we kind of stumbled upon this kind of opportunity with the company i work for and i've been on this journey for five years trying the hard way very hard way to learn how to deal with all of this the massive amounts of data that we're collecting worldwide yeah okay fantastic thank you for your introductions um this i asked you to all pose a question yeah and i saw this was the best way you're going to get some value from this um what i am going to do that i didn't tell you is actually kind of why you asked the question uh, to give everyone's everyone some context about what you want to get out of this um so does anyone remember their questions or shall i bring them up on a shared document i tell you what to, for ease i will bring bring them up and share my screen yeah so because i've got if I share my screen, so Daniel, yeah, uh, if it's okay, can we start with you? Now you sent me this question. Could you talk about the question and why you asked it and kind of some context behind it? So partly this is from my two last companies where I've been part of trying to build up data organizations. I mean forming and recruiting data engineers, data scientists, looking at how to lay out pipelines and all the classic infrastructure. Uh, but then I came across a paper from a really interesting ThoughtWorks. Uh, I'm not sure what her name was, I don't remember, but it's on the data mesh. And it kind of rhymed in with me, the struggle I see, and also the tendency I started to see at EC Park, where, so you build all these nice pipelines, you build this infrastructure, but all of a sudden you're the bottleneck for organization because they realize that you can give you stuff, but you don't have enough engineers. You don't, don't have the insight sometimes if you're depending on mobile app to get into the instrumentation and getting the tracking in, or if you're doing it in backend service and so forth. So I kind of wanted to pose a question, what, what are your thoughts on, on this? Like, how do you not become the bottleneck of your organization by being the only one who can work with the data? Because it, I think at some point it will block you from being truly data-driven. Um, so that was kind of the background for the question. So can I just follow up with a question here? Uh, because um, I also read that paper on data mesh, and it's, uh, it's, I guess it's coming from domain-driven design and those things that uh, I guess you shouldn't have one single team being responsible for this super giant like data lake. And so you want to kind of distribute these different, the data lakes into the actual domains that's supposed to be using. Is that the, the background to to uh, your kind of uh, your, your question here is, is is that the you want to kind of get away from this bottleneck where we had one single team in my gigantic data lake and everyone is dependent on that team so you want to kind of distribute distribute uh, kind of responsibility across all domains and all the uh, all sub teams is is that is that right I think that what I really took away from the paper, because I don't fully buy into all the parts, yeah. but what I really liked is that the fact that they wanted to push the ownership and kind of the how you look at the data to the actual data where it's produced. Yeah. So if I look at how it was at King, it wasn't always that we looked at all the instrumentation and all the tracking as the prior thing to do. I mean, that was just something we did. And then, of course, we reap the benefits when we can get analytics and A-B tests out of it. And what I really liked about that paper was saying that the ones that are closest to the data are actually one that gets the 
instruments it, then actually tells what it is. And it doesn't negate the fact that it might be a central story you send it to, but you are kind of responsible for making sure it's correct, making sure that it's kind of in a format where it can actually be consumed. Mm -hmm. While sometimes I get the feeling that, okay, tracking is something that you live with and people just, yeah, let's get the tracking out of the way. And they don't take responsibility for if it's correct or if it's even working. I've been part of where we at King, sometimes we, we wrote tracking tickets that overwrote something else. And we didn't discover it before the uh, data scientists would come around and say, hey, this tracking doesn't seem to work because yeah. it looks really weird. And then we were like, okay, let's look at it. So it wasn't really the, the feeling of the game teams that they owned the, the data itself. It was just something that they produced on the side, so to say. So that's kind of what fine with me a little bit from that. Uh, what, what's your thoughts, Mark? Yeah, I, I, I think that it, it, it's a, in a sense, a problem of uh, infrastructure versus, uh, versus pipeline conceptually in that you have a location and, and it, it often develops in my experience where you have the, the, the data infrastructure uh, is built centrally uh, and then the data, uh, the data engineering then becomes a central function. But ideally, it should actually be a distributed function where each team has data engineers who have the domain knowledge centered around their specific data. Because as an organization grows, you very often end up with too much knowledge to, to house in one place. Um, and that's where the bottleneck occurs, right? Because you've got too many moving parts between the uh, the divisions of the product areas and where the data sits. Uh, so they constantly have to ask the data engineering team where the data is, what it looks like, that kind of thing. Where's they actually producing it in the first place? Hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that I, I think it's that dis the distributed model starts to become really important to avoid bottlenecking. James? I was just wondering if anyone else thinks this might be connected with the scale of the organization that you're in. What I mean by that is I, I feel like the classical cliche, let's have cross-functional teams, a bit like Mark was saying, where you have domain knowledge close to owning the feature that they're building makes perfect sense. But my guess is where this question might be coming from, from Daniel, you can correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong, but these big companies you've been working at recently, uh, Spotify, for example, they, they try and solve this by doing a more matrix organization and trying to somehow get some combination of expertise in a particular technology or a particular pipeline or a particular area and then that domain knowledge as well. And I feel like there's some tension they're pulling and it's something that I'm not an expert on because the teams I've been leading have been small enough that we could do it just the cross-functional team way. Does that make sense what I'm saying, Daniel? Yeah, I think it's a function of how you grow. So, I mean, looking at some of the other questions I was looking at them, I think it is like you need to grow with the com with the size of where you are on, on like the, I wouldn't say maturity scale because it sounds like it's better to be in one end or other or, or vice versa. But as you grow, as your company grows, I think you will be pressed for different challenges and for different solutions. And I think in the beginning when you're really small, this isn't a problem because you are like, there's like maybe 10, 15 engineers. The only problem is mightily that you, you can't just do everything because you're overloaded with everything that's competing for your, for your priority. But I think that as you grow as a company, 
it is very easy to look at it as an efficiency game and you kind of centralize all the data data engineers, or maybe that's how you started out, but at some point that will be challenged because you will become the bottleneck because it also cognitively overloads sometimes because all of a sudden all your engineers and, and data scientists, they need to understand all the different facets, marketing representation or finance representation or how this is represented in the client or how this is represented in your web. And I think that it becomes really too tough for those engineers to kind of hold that mental model of how that is represented. So, so I do agree, James. I think it's a, a scale question. It might not ever hit some companies and at some companies that will be at a point something that pains them. Thomas, have you got any further comments? No, I, not more than what I was originally was kind of uh, thinking about because again, like I read the paper and it was really interesting and it, it, it is interesting to kind of the, the overall background to it where it's coming from domain driven design that the the teams knows the domain they should have the infrastructure they should have the data engineers and they be should be responsible have ownership of the data and and uh, and that's that's why they should be they should not be dependent on like a centralized uh, like uber data lake team uh or a bit that takes care of it but this I, so i read the paper uh, and i i mean in theory it, it seems that it perfect, makes perfect sense but it's not the situation we're in with Maracanda is as we're a startup, we're a small company. So it's exactly also what James was saying. This is maybe when you have a bigger organization, you have more, more domains, more teams, more use cases uh, where, we, where you need to kind of uh, run in parallel in, in these different teams. So I think, I think it's a super important, very interesting actual concept. This thing is probably going to be uh, very popular going forward as well. Daniel. Do you feel you and your question has been answered? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of good perspective and for people listening in, I definitely do agree with both James and Thomas. I think that this is something that will be very relevant by scale. So I think that that might be a general kind of recommendation for me. Don't look at what the big giants are doing because it might not be relevant for you at all. Don't try to copy their setup or their infrastructure because you might not even have those problems. You might never have them. those problems that they're trying to solve. So uh, I do, I think there was a lot of good things uh, that came out of the discussion. Fantastic. Got off to an incredible start. Question answered within our time frame. Brilliant. Right, okay. Um, so next question. I won't share the screens. I think it's taking up some of the, the bandwidth. So I'm going to put pose Mark's question in the chat. So Mark, could you explain um, the context behind your question and, and what you're looking to get out of it? So the 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 context is that uh, is that my uh, our, the data engineering setup at I think is quite small at the moment, and we but we're scaling quite quickly. In fact, too quickly in the set. Um, and now it's a matter of how do we determine those pipelines? Should they be built, uh, or it, is it better to build them using serverless uh, serverless architecture, or should we be looking to run uh, managed, uh, less managed or self-managed services? So between let's say let's take Spark between a managed Spark instance or EMR in AWS or something like Glue, which is uh, uh, service. Your thoughts, James. 
Maybe I could ask some follow-on questions because just to understand a bit more where it's coming from. But it, is it a worry about ownership and lock-in? Is it a worry about scalability? Or what, what are the different factors that you're trying to weigh up here? It's hard to, because yeah, it's I, such a broad question, right? I, I think it, it's resources in terms of the team's uh, capacity because mm -hmm. we have a small team. But the, the 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 requirements of the team are quite significant and quite broad. Mm -hmm. The way I generally think about this, and maybe it's not applicable for data pipelines, um, but I'll let you guys weigh in on that. But it's it's if you're building a piece of functionality that differentiates your product, differentiates your company, that may be erring more towards ownership of that and doing self-hosting and not. Uh, being trapped in other people's solutions kind of makes more sense to me. Whereas if it's a part of your solution where you're not differentiating on that, and this is just like the cost of entry into the part where you are differentiating, but I, I'm, I'm normally more willing to risk the being locked in with Amazon or being locked in with Google if they have a particular service that, that lets, lets us get up to speed faster and use their engineering prowess. And, you know, they spend a lot of time creating something that's really top notch. We can stand on the shoulders of giants and, and then focus our efforts more on the areas where we differentiate. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, that does. What's your thoughts, Daniel? I mean, I, I, I think I echo James in a, in a sense that I, it really depends on where you are as a company. I think that if I look at like what's out there, there's everything from the simplest solution that would fit a startup where you basically can buy everything. You almost need no engineers, just like drag and drop. And there's all these companies trying to connect everything together, like customer data platforms, like MParticle and, and uh, Segment.io and, and different solutions that you basically buy out of the box. But what I do love today with the cloud infrastructure is that, I mean, at least Amazon, which was what we work with at EasyPark, and we have Google at, at uh, uh, Spotify, is that you can actually, it feels like you can select a little bit. You can go down on the smallest component uh, that actually lets you pick, for example, AVS Firehose, which is just one component, or you could buy the entire Glue setup. So for me, that gives you the power to actually pick and, and choose from that. And then depending on how much engineering power you have, how much you want to spend and how much you want to customize, you can make that choice. But I, it is a little bit scary choice because you feel that you lock into the solution depending on, on how fine grained you make it. Uh, so, so I do, I kind of, yeah, I've been in, we had a lot of those discussions at Easy Park, at what level should we put it? And we decided to go not all the way down, but picking components in the ABS framework, but that suited us. And you, Thomas? Yeah, I think that this is a this is a very interesting question, and I, I think I could spend hours discussing this topic alone. Uh, uh, this is exactly where we are. This is a, this is your question is spot on. What we've been working on for uh, the last two three years. Uh, so yeah, I don't really want to know where to start really. So we, we're kind of I can say what we ended up with is a hybrid. Uh, so where we came from was, uh, you know, we're doing R and D, trying to find the product, uh, you know, uh, from the use case we saw was interesting, and so we did lots of R and D uh, on like everything was running on Jupyter notebooks and, uh, and you know Jupyter Hub or uh, that, that we set up ourselves and, and partly on SageMaker, uh, and then uh, Amazon released uh, Glue, 
so we thought this is awesome. We're going to go with glue. So we, uh, you know, we're a small team. We want to, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to hassle with, uh, you know, uh, setting up spark clusters and, and so forth. Uh, so we go, let's, say, let's go full in with glue. Like we, we put everything in glue. This is going to be great. And it was not great, just <laughs> uh, because uh, it's not very easy to develop things in, in SageMaker. It's, you know, the development endpoints are really crappy. It's very difficult to think, you know, scale things down and, and actually, you know, develop things. Uh, so to make the story a bit shorter than several hours, what we ended up with is actually for our offline data pipelines where we do product development, we, we still use, um, uh, you know, Jupyter Hub, we uh, fire up, uh, you know, EMR and run the uh, the jobs on EMR when we want to do research. We want to try out some new features, and, you know, or, you know, experiment with data, experiment new algorithms, and so forth. We would do that on on EMR. And when we find something which is stable, we're just making sure that the code we do uh, is also something that we easily can transfer and run also on 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 uh, on uh, on glue. Uh, and the the simple philosophy we have right now is that anything that has an SLA where we need to have something that actually runs in sort of, sort of a predictable manner uh, and we don't want to kind of, you know, you know, making sure that everything is running, uh, you know, and monitor it, uh, then, then we use uh, uh, glue. Uh, so on the production pipelines, we're using the Firehose, we're using Lambdas, we're using StageMaker uh, and also for the pipelines we're using for glue. But that's just for the really the production automated things otherwise we, we we cannot use that so that's that's trying to do make the answer short any, any yeah. comment any comments on that because it sounds like thomas is uh it's a, a quite an interesting point i suppose similar to mark mark as well yeah i i think that that that's an interesting uh setup it's yeah it's something I, i've been thinking back and forth across and talking with my engineers and, and going through that R&D process. But that, that is an interesting approach. It's definitely one I will consider. When, when are you going to make the decision? Yeah, is it close? Uh, it's a bit of a, uh, yeah, it, 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 it needs to be close, but whether it is <laughs> uh, mm. depends on a number of moving parts. Mm. Um, but yes, we'll 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 see. Hopefully, we'll be able to to get somewhere soon. Fantastic, uh, Mike. Do you feel like your questions be answered there? Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Right. Okay. By the way, feel free to kind of jump in. I don't. Um, I'm trying to be the one that stops you talking, not to kind of push you. So feel free to jump in whenever. And uh, next question is from James, and I'm going to put it in the chat. Uh, but yeah, James, could you uh, give some context behind your question, please? Yeah, I guess this is kind of the classic question around metrics and data and dashboards and pipelines and big data is that it needs to be usable, right? At the end of the day, it needs to be something that pushes the business forward. Otherwise, what value is it adding? And I think that's been a challenge for a few of the companies where I've been part of this process. And, and at Snipe, we're quite early in our data pipeline life cycle. We, we, it's this year, basically, that we've got it in place. And so th th I think this is a question that we're going to come up against pretty soon. And we spent a lot of time in the beginning thinking about, well, what metrics do we care about, making sure that they're connected to decisions that we could make around those, around the business, around the product. So we've put a lot of time in, but. 
I'm just wondering how it is to maintain that over time and to not let stakeholders push us towards things that they feel, oh, we have to have this. And they don't want to give you a good explanation why they need it, but they just need it and they need it fast. And then over time, you're polluting uh, the metrics, the dashboards with things that aren't useful. I was just wondering if people had experienced that and what kind of strategies to try and keep the quality really high, even after this initial honeymoon period that we're on now. Is anyone particularly passionate about this question and would like to lead? Uh, well, I, I can leave by saying we're almost in exactly the same situation where we have a list as long as my arm of requests from various stakeholders that, for metrics that are not well-defined or not well-conceptualized. Uh, and uh, in previously, um, at, at previous companies I, I, I worked at, the, the uh, it, the idea or the, the, the approach was to say, uh, and, and it, it, it's not a simple one and everyone will say, well, theirs is the most important, uh, but actually go through a definition process of what, what is the actual benefit for each metric? You know, uh, what, what is the actionable outcome? You know, what do we learn? And, and go through the process with the, uh, with the uh, product area so that they can explain in full, like prop, uh, fully formed in a project document or however it is that you want to do it, so that you have that on record. Um, other than, than that, it, it is a difficult, it is a very interesting problem. So uh, I'll, I'll hand it over. Daniel? I would say that this is, for me, there's my, I would say there's a little bit different things that, that weighs into this. Uh, one thing is that it's good there's security around the data. You want to kind of keep that alive. Uh, the second thing that one of, of my close colleagues from, from King always says is that sometimes people feel that it's, they need it urgently, they need it to be updated real time and all of these things. But the question to then ask back is like, okay, what action are you gonna be able to take on this data? So if I give you this metric, what is, what is the action you're going to take on it and how fast can the organization weigh back on it? Because, I mean, if you spend a lot of engineering time and a lot of, of things going into producing a metric that they will use only once because they're, they're falling up on a hunch, then it might be just better to, to set somebody down and, and write a SQL query and, and then give them the data once off. And the other one is like doing some of these calculations close to real time it introduces a lot of tricky questions of windowing and, and I mean, what do you do with late data points and so forth and so forth. And, and sometimes that's just a cool thing that will then be posted on, on, on some dashboard in the entrance. And, oh, it's, it's live, it's splitting. But as an organization, you have a decision loop that's maybe weeks. So I think that there's, there's always questions like, okay, trying to dig a little bit more in, in what it is. And, and, yeah, it's a delicate balance by, by keeping that alive, that people want the data and, and are curious about it, and then uh, making sure that your team doesn't get over, over kind of burdened with all of it. One thing that we did do at Easy Park, we tried to introduce more tooling where people could look into data sets themselves. So that was one way to offload that curiosity where marketing managers or country directors wanted to understand how is my thing doing? What am I doing? And, and what we looked at was a lot of also 
what pre previous reports requests did we have that we could actually build into discover area in, in the tool that we used so that people could in, go in there i can't say how that turned out because we're still we were still ramping up as i left ec4 mm. but i mean the idea was to give these people kind of serving some of that without having the engineers stand in between uh, that data questions and, and and what we have so they didn't need to write sql themselves they had some kind of ui for creating the queries or how did it look yeah i i don't want to drag tools into this but i think that some of the today bi tools there are several of them on the market that try to offer interfaces that will allow you to query into big data sets if you have them mm -hmm. uh, i think all the market leads actually do that um, mm -hmm. so one way is to actually we dump big data sets into these tools and then of course you need to have training and then help people aboard to do that but that was one way to make sure that okay the only thing that would zipper through would would actually be really tricky ones or things that we need to change in the underlying infrastructure um, so that was our idea moving forward i i can't say james how that implements and how mm -hmm. well it works because I think I need to have stayed at least one, one, one and a half year down the line to see how it actually panned out. But mm. uh, no, it makes initial sense. reactions were good. It makes sense what you're saying. I think maybe the tricky thing here is that the balance, right, where you're, you don't want to set the bar so high where you're asking them to, you know, be a data scientist themselves just to be able to get something through. But you also want to give a high enough hurdle that they're not just asking for random things all the time. And I think it's just, Yes, finding that balance is maybe not always easy and it probably shifts a bit depending on organization and people's roles and there are so many factors. But but thank you for your answer, it's really good. Thomas? Yeah, um, I'm not sure what to comment on here. If you're asking about the process to go from data collection to generator, generating, um, uh, I, I can just say, I mean, say something about what we're doing here is that, you know, basically what we have is we have something like a lightweight analytics as a service um, on top of our data products. Uh, and one of the kind of most difficult thing for us is developing this product is actually to, uh, to visualize data visualization and try to, uh, to have our customers to understand our data. We, we always think we have brilliant ideas on how to visualize the data and then we go and present that and we make mock-ups and we haven't even start you know uh, implementing these very very cool looking interfaces uh but in the end it turns out it's they they don't really understand so i mean this this has been the hardest part is to to visualize you know doing visualization of, of the data and, and to see that our stakeholders stakeholders they they see that this is valuable stuff I'm not sure if it's even related to what your original question was, but this is, uh, has been um, our uh, biggest headache. Is, is uh, we know we understand the data, but how we can we make uh, our customers uh, understand the data in a better way? Yeah, because I guess understanding is the first hurdle for actionable, right? You can't take the right action if you don't even understand it. So it yeah. makes perfect sense what you're saying. I mean, we have the, the easiest thing here is the lower level uh, side of it. We, we provide an Athena interface like the uh, Google BigQuery and they can go in and, and query all the data, you know, in, in, in any dimension they want. Mm -hmm. So that's easy. But the, the visualization of it actually presenting the added value is, 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 is hard. So are you, are you guys saying that at some point I need to guess, go and use uh... SQL? <laughs> 
What were you going to say? There? Was it you, Daniel? That was... I, I think there is a funny... Yeah, I think that there is a funny story around, and several have done that, a BigQuery. So, I mean, if you have people that are very beginning in SQL and you give them BigQuery and you punch, you dump a lot of data in there, you could end up running up really nice tabs mm. because, I mean, Google charged you per query or data searched. Yeah. So you really need to be careful if yeah. you kind of have that solution and that people that have minimal SQL experience, they could rack up really expensive questions. Uh, yeah. Just so you know, just to be aware. Uh, <laughs> we have done something similar, but not on BigQuery, but uh, I, I know people at King that's done really expensive works. Very true. A follow-up to that, yeah, because I'm on the side where I am often asking our data team for data. Do you find that when we ask when when we ask for data, yeah, that even though we want it to look good, we are actually not that bothered, or do we just want it to look good? You mean, do stakeholders care? Yeah, do stakeholders, about it, or do they? Or do they just want the metrics to make them look good yeah, in their we, role? By default, we want everything. We want it to look good and we want the data fast. But what do you find? Do, do we actually want that? Yeah. Is, is there a common thing that comes back from people? Well, I think if people are, are used to using Google Sheets, which they often are before they move over, pretty much everything looks better than, uh, than Google Sheets or than Excel. So. Mm. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I think at a base level, it comes down that at, at least um, our business stakeholders, mm. uh, they just want the data. Mm. Um, you know, end users uh, very often care about CX and, uh, and those types of concepts, but most of our stakeholders, they just want the data and they want it yesterday. <laughs> James, do you feel like your question has been answered? Yes. Fantastic. Um, final question. And so we've got plenty of time. So feel free to discuss, but I'm going to put this in the chat, Thomas. And if you can explain uh, the context behind the question and what you're looking to get out of it. Yeah, so this is a, yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, the, it's this, this is the question that has, uh, where we have had most of our discussions in the team among like our tech leads, architects, and trying to design our production pipelines. Uh, you know, we, we, again, as a startup, we've done the R&D, we have produced models, we're getting the AUCs that we want and, and so forth. And we ad hoc, we're, we've been running things on, on, on you know, on, on those notebooks and, uh, you know, we're moving into glue, etc. But the the you know especially where i come from I, i'm not the data you know a data engineer uh, you know uh, where i come from uh, I, i'm thinking about traditional software development and configuration management how to isolate how, how to isolate components and look at dependencies between i mean it's i have this traditional way of thinking and and kind of moving into the data domain especially when you're doing machine learning it just seems like uh, there's a this famous quote from some paper i write that change anything changes everything right have you heard that uh, story? So it, it just seems like uh, unless you're really careful, basically the your pipelines becomes like one gigantic monolith. Uh, you cannot change anything, and then you need to, you know, and mind the the smallest change can actually destroy your UASCs in 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 the end of your beautiful models. 
so we're just trying, you know, obviously we cannot have this gigantic monolith monster of all the, the pipelines. So you, you need to kind of do some trade-offs and, and you know, partition this, these pipelines into smaller architectural pieces uh, and, and do configuration management on, on those smaller pieces. So I'm just interested on how, what kind of people's are, you know, experience are, what kind of trade-offs do you have? Do you, I mean, do you, do you actually do like big monolith or have you, do you have like, how have you can deconstructed your, your, your pipelines and, and your thoughts around configuration management? Do you Daniel, understand what I'm talking about? And is it making sense? I think Daniel's, you? Daniel's nodding his head and he's about to come up with the solution. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Uh, I think I'm not. I mean, <laughs> I. In in this case, I would echo some people that I mean at King when they started out, they started out with having, like, intermediate steps, and 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 they saved all the data to be able to rerun. And 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 what I'm thinking about when you say that there's a big dependency, I think you kind of want to it yourself. Make sure that the entire pipeline isn't like super dependent on next step. There are actually intermediate steps that are a little bit more isolated that it doesn't break if the if you can introduce another tracking field or another kind of variant of the field. Uh, I do I do think that it, it is so that the when you look at how the architecture thinking is on pipelining, it is more to more more to more the old monolithic. While I think that the modern software on the back end has been driven more and more to I mean, distributed systems mm. uh, and so forth. So I, I'm i not really that good on those really fine details that I feel that you are looking to guidance for, but I, I feel that at least I've been lucky that there's a lot of good people out there that you can actually ask if, if there's mm. a network. Uh, I'm not sure if, if some of the others have more hands-on details, uh, but I mean, yeah. I can speculate a little bit more, but I, I, I want the other ones to, if they have more concrete. You're feeling my uh, pain, or you, you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, we did. We did have a lot of these questions at Easy Park, and we and we, we. I mean, I used my old friend from King to actually come and talk a lot about it. But I mean, in the end, we ended up with a fairly a bunch of simple principles that we tried to follow. Like we mm. we tried to keep everything immutable. Uh, so. I mean, if you want to add more tracking data, you don't add that to the current version, you add a new version, and then you need the intermediate layers to kind of merge all those different views. So if you yeah. have like a, the simplest one is like the app screen start, you have that in multiple versions. Because I mean, you do run the problem of with mobile, you have multiple versions of your software live and it doesn't ever go away. I mean, you don't have 100% footprint on install like you have with backend services. So at some point you need to write an obscurance layer that actually handles all these different versions. Uh, at least that's how they solve it, King. I don't know how they do that at Spotify. I mean, I've only been here seven weeks and that's another part of the organization. So I, I can't share with you any learnings from that. But uh, Simple Stupid seem to have worked for King for a very long time uh, and, and, and tried to keep it in small pieces. Mm -hmm. James? Yeah, I should um, start this with a caveat that I've never worked at a company where we've built our own pipeline from scratch or even using the really low level blocks that some of you guys were talking about before. Right now we use Google at Snipe and we're using pretty big blocks, you know, PubSub and Dataflow and BigQuery basically. So we're just stitching together their engineering. But the way I try and think about the pipeline that kind of matches with, with my background is the 
with functional programming, you, you have uh, data, you know, mutable data in the best of all worlds, you have functions that manipulate the data and it just goes through and it, it becomes like a pipeline. And that's basically how I try and think about architecting the data pipeline as well. That, like Daniel said, if you can keep it immutable, if you can do versioning, if you can have those, uh, the little bits of glue that we're doing, it doesn't feel like we're building a monolith. Um, but I guess time will tell as we add more and more features and more and more metrics, maybe bits of it will start to feel bloated and then we'll need to start uh, reassessing how we've architected it. But um, yeah, my, my gut feeling is you guys are doing it at a lower level and maybe my experiences aren't that valuable. Mark? Um, I, I, I I'll start with the caveat that I haven't really touched the ML side of this. Uh, but in terms of data pipelines, I, I completely agree with the immutability and, and managing the transformations uh, down the pipeline in relatively small steps. Um, I, I think that's really key. That, that does come with the, with the side effect of, of some bloat where you have a data set that is partially transformed and then partially transformed again and then goes through this process where you end up with lots of data sets and some of which don't necessarily have immediate value. Uh, but for replayability purposes and just for understanding and being able to follow a workflow or something, I think that is really important. Uh -huh. Thomas, have you got any follow-up questions to that? Yeah, it's again that it's a big topic. Uh, 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 but I'm, I mean, the uh, Mark and Daniel, what you're saying. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I can relate to what you're saying, and, and this is these are things we're actually trying. You know, what we're doing, uh, immutability. Um, also, any kind of, you know, in traditional in software engineering, you talk about you know uh, you want to have you not want to break contracts, um, and and you don't want to. Uh, protect downstream systems from uh, breaking contracts, and, and we're just coming to realize that the contract in in machine learning is basically the shape of the data. So anything that kind of changes the shape of the data, that's like uh, breaking the contract. And so this is uh, if we're going to release a new version, that's a new pipeline. So we keep the old pipeline and we do the, this this new update on a a second pipeline. So this is what we're exploring, uh, and, and but we're not, you know. We're not coming to an end of conclusions if this is going to be too expensive for us or not. But yeah, it's. I think Daniel, you mentioned you had maybe some more comments to say on that. I mean, I, I would say the same caveat. I mean, the first ML pipelines we built at EC Park were very simple. So I mean, I think that that also is that. A lot of the work that I've done up to now has been around tracking type pipelines, and they doesn't necessarily behave the same way as the machine learning pipeline does, due to the fact that you might be more. I mean, aggregates does doesn't work the same way as I understood it. I mean, and there is also maybe depending on how you pull out the data and how you build training sets and how you build your positive and negative sets. You, I think you wrangle the data a little bit different than we would do in tracking. Uh, so. I actually, I don't have any good advice on how to write good ML pipelines that actually survive versions. Because I, I, I do guess that the only risk I hear, but that's just me kind of extrapolating what you're saying is that if you have to build a new pipeline for every version that is live, 
at some point you might have four or five or six pipeline and that's going to be expensive yeah, to maintain it's going to be yeah, so, so this mean, is where we're there's a context uh, we're we're very sensitive to changes in you know, we're, the models are very sensitive so it's uh it really is like the someone was saying like change anything changes everything and even you know fixing bugs could uh we know this is a bug but it, if we fix the bug it changes the shape of the data the distribution of in some feature and downstream the learn you know the model has actually learned to, to to handle that type of bug so then when they fix the bug the model is uh you know it's not working properly so then you need to retrain the model so then that's why we you know, we're super sensitive on releasing anything that changes the shape of the data. That so we have a backup pipeline, so then we can see and monitor downstream what actually happens, um, and see if we need to kind of retrain our algorithms. Yeah, it's it's a super interesting, <laughs> slightly more complicated than traditional software engineering. Yeah, I, I would I would guess like because you could mistake model drift for just a bug correction. Yeah, I can I can feel the pain in your voice, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your, the mind just boggling. Um, right, uh, guys, we've got technically we've got fifteen minutes left. Yeah, now hopefully everyone's had their questions answered to the best of everyone's ability. But while you're here, is there anything you've jotted down? Any questions have you got for the rest of the panel while we've got a bit of time? Fantastic. <laughs> no, perfect. <laughs> actually, the, the, the one question yeah, that I, I did, have, we actually answered at the beginning. So. All ah, right, okay. Daniel, were you saying something there? Yeah. I, I think that so far what I've found is that at least around where I've been, there's so helpful communities. So I, I kind of urge anyone like that has some of these problems to reach out in different groups. There are user groups, there are a lot of helpful people, at least I've had the fortune to have around me. So you can ask these questions. There is a lot of smart people out there that actually devote some of their time to actually come and, and, and actually talk to you and help you out. So uh, that's a little bit how we have been coming by at EC Park. We, I mean, we've used the network, we pull people in, we talk to them, we show them, and, and a lot of them have been very interested in actually coming and seeing how are you doing stuff? Okay, this is what you're doing. This is what we're doing. Okay, let's learn from each other. Because I think sometimes these problems aren't necessarily competitive in that sense. I mean, the problems are so kind of on the level that it, it won't hurt you to talk to somebody who's in a similar business and that might not be directly competitive. So uh, I would kind of just, if you don't already do that, reach out in your networks. To, you, you never know who pops up that actually has somebody who knows something about this and then you can go over and, and have a little bit of knowledge exchange. Daniel, it works really well for us. Is there any, any one particular or any forums or platforms that you use? I think I've just been very lucky working at King and, and kind of my network has extended from King. But I've also, I mean, if you belong to a company that has a VC funding, we've sometimes gone that way. So we go up and then we ask what other companies are in your portfolio mm. and then you can start talking to them. And I mean, if you're a little bit more big and famous, like maybe, maybe Tink, I guess you have easier to use because you're Tink. You can go out and ask somebody 
uh, other companies and they will answer because of that. But if you're small, sometimes just going up in portfolio and ask would give you a connection to somebody who has similar problems. That's that's really good information. That I really like that. Thank you, Daniel. Um, unfortunately, I, I I'm not part of that network. I can't help you with these questions, guys. Um, right, brilliant. So, um, unless anyone's got any final comments, uh, we will leave it at that. Like I said, um, I'll book in some uh, calls at the end of. Um, end of next week uh, just to show you what we've put together i'll do it separately um show you the content and if you're happy for it to go out to our community uh, i'd be really grateful for that uh, and hopefully you've got some um some value out of today's session absolutely thank you for yeah. organizing it yeah thanks christian thanks guys yeah thank you and nice to meet everyone same yeah can only agree thank you very much Cheers, guys. Have a good evening. You yeah. too. Thanks, everyone. Right. Bye.